Lord, as we hear this text about Jesus giving sight to the blind man, Lord, give us eyes to see you today and to hear your word to us. Take our minds and think through them now. Take my lips and my words and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with a love for you and your gospel. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, about a year ago, I spent um, a night and a half a day in the emergency room. I was working on a bookshelf in our fairly new house, and I felt an extreme abdominal pain that just shot through me and buckled me over. And I couldn't do anything but lay down for like 10 minutes. It just came out of nowhere and hurt so bad. Eventually, it kind of went away and calmed down. So, uh, as typical, I kind of chose to ignore it and hoped that it would just go away. But it didn't, and it kind of continued as just this mild, very uncomfortable feeling and got worse over the next day or so. So I called a doctor who sent me to the ER to run some tests just to make sure. I was worried, you know, did I have a hernia? Was it an appendicitis? Was it kidney stones? What, what could it have been? Now, thankfully, um, they did their tests and nothing really came back, so they think I just kind of pulled or strained uh, one of my core muscles is what, what really it caused. So I was thankful that it, it wasn't anything bad. Give glory to God for that. But the whole experience was miserable, right? I, I spent hours in the ER waiting room to get, a, to get a room. And of course, I was in pain, so I was uncomfortable the whole time. I barely slept. I was feeling terrible and then felt like an idiot for going to the ER for something that really wasn't a problem. And it was just miserable. And as I sat through it all, one of the questions that I started thinking is, why is this happening to me? And there's a practical concern there, right? Like, what happened? Did, did I do something wrong? Maybe you've felt similar things, right? When you're sick, why is this happening? Did I eat something? Did I go somewhere? Did I do something? What can I do to make this stop? But when we're really miserable and really just feeling uncomfortable, like something's wrong, it becomes more existential, right? Like, God, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Why do I have to deal with this suffering? Now, as Christians, we, that can be a dangerous line of thought. Because sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I've been saved, I've been redeemed Shouldn't my life be full of joy in the Spirit and new life? Why do I have to deal with this suffering? It becomes, God, this isn't right. I don't deserve this. There are people in my life, and maybe in some of your lives as well, who have left the Christian faith. And for some of them, the reason was they had some suffering they experienced that they felt like they didn't deserve. And they started questioning, why me, God? Why are you putting this through me? And eventually, they came to believe, maybe God doesn't really love me, or maybe there isn't even a God at all. We need to watch that our thinking doesn't go to callous ourselves like that. These are the questions that are presented to Jesus in our gospel today, as he encounters a blind man, and he's essentially asked, why does he deserve this? What did he do wrong that he should suffer like this? But Jesus' answer flips the script on that question and presents it in a new way and causes us to think about our suffering different. The question our gospel raises for us today is, 
could our suffering be an opportunity for the works of God to be displayed? Put another way, might Christ use our suffering for good? We continue our Lenten sermon series today, Journey to the Cross. We're going through the book of John, looking at different stories from Jesus' life that ultimately lead him to Jerusalem and ultimately the cross. Lent is a time where we slow down and we remember that, yes, our Christian life is a life full of peace and joy, marked by a new life in the Spirit, full of thanksgiving and rejoicing. But life is also the way of the cross. That Jesus told his disciples, if you follow me, I was persecuted, I was rejected, and ultimately I was abused and crucified. If you want to follow me, you can expect that the same thing will happen to you. And he calls his disciples to take up their cross and to follow him. He calls us to share our suffering with one another. Lent, as we focus on our sin and repentance, on fasting and discipline, as we slow things down and make it a little more somber and remind ourselves of our mortality, remember that you are from dust, and to dust you shall return. It is a reminder that suffering is a natural part of the Christian walk and opens us up to see what God might be showing to us through our suffering. So if you want to turn with me to John chapter 9, it's in the back of your bulletin, or if you have your Bibles, you can open up. And we'll see how Jesus addresses these questions. John 9, 1 begins, as he went along. Now, anytime you're reading a story in Scripture, and it begins with a transition, it's always worth asking, where are we coming from, right? As he went along, from where? So if you go back into John chapter 8, you'll see that Jesus was in the temple, and he was making bold claims about himself. One of the claims he makes in John 8 is, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now naturally, such a claim is shocking and disturbing to a lot of people, right? Imagine if a political figure today, or a megachurch pastor, comes out and says, I am the light of the world we would naturally be a little bit skeptical. Maybe think he's a little bit crazy, especially if he didn't have proof. And so the Pharisees and many others begin to question Jesus about what he's saying about himself in the temple. What do you mean by this? They say, we have Abraham, but we don't know who you are. And Jesus makes a radical claim. Before Abraham was, I am. And they see that as a radical heresy, right? He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be greater than our father Abraham and claiming to be greater than us. And so most of John chapter 8 is a whole series of discussions, arguments between Jesus and the Pharisees. And they get so angry with him that they actually reach down and pick up rocks and they're going to kill him then and there. John 8 ends by saying, Jesus hid in the crowd and left the temple. Our story picks up immediately after that, as Jesus, who was about to be stoned to death, has left the temple, and he's walking out and traveling, and along his way, he encounters a blind man. 
Now in John 9, it is the disciples who ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I work in hospice. I support a team that cares for the dying and works for the sick. The disciples here are practicing what I would call bad bedside manners, right? (laughs) They encounter this man who's suffering and begging and in pain, and they ask him, what did he do to deserve this? These disciples have been following Jesus for some time. They know he associates with social outcasts, with those who are down and out. They've seen him heal the sick before. But they don't stop and say, hey, do you want to heal this man? Should we give money to this man? How can we help this man? It's not the disciples' greatest moment. Rather, in their callousness, they say, what did he do? How bad is his sin that he deserves to be born blind? Now, the disciples' attitude here show us the attitude of their broader culture, not just with the Jews, but the Roman culture. In that time, what we would call medical conditions were seen as as a burden. They were a social and economic burden on the community. But more than that, that culture and society believed that if you were blind or deaf or lame or had leprosy or even mental illness, that that was a sign of the disfavor of the gods that you must have done something or your family must have done something so bad that you deserved God's wrath to be upon you. And so those, it was seen as a moral shame and a source of failure and sin. We see this even worse with the Pharisees later in the passage. They're questioning the man who at that point had been given sight and encountered Jesus. And they're questioning, what happened? Were you really born blind? And our text says that they hurled insults at him. And they rejected his testimony. And ultimately, they say in verse, let me see, verse 34, they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. The assumption of the Pharisees is if this man was born blind, that he must be sinful and unrighteous, that he or his family must have done something to deserve God's wrath. And so they put themselves above him, that they are righteous and he is sinful and unworthy, and they cast him out. That's the attitude of the culture around them. Yet when the disciples come to Jesus and say, who sinned, this man or his parents, his answer radically shifts the mindset of the culture. His answer flips the table on their question. He doesn't answer them, at least not in the way that they think, right? He doesn't say, this is why the man is, is uh, born blind. This is why his suffering has happened. Rather, he focuses on what God might be wanting to do through the suffering. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's not that the man is so much worse than everybody else or somehow deserves this as a punishment, that he's cursed. Rather, what Jesus sees in the man's suffering is an opportunity for God's works to be displayed. 
And so he goes and heals the man and gives him sight in what is probably the strangest miracle recorded in the gospel, right? He goes along and he spits on the ground, mixes up the saliva in the dirt, smears mud on the man's eyes, tells him to go to a pool and wash, and then he comes back seeing. So on an aside, what's going on with the mud, right? Uh, a few possibilities. One could be to, to uh, borrow a modern expression, say that Jesus is trolling the Pharisees, <laughs> right? He just had this big argument with the Pharisees in chapter 8. He's leaving as, after they wanted to kill him. One of the biggest disagreements he often gets into with the Pharisees is, is their beliefs about the Sabbath. They believe that, above all, God is going to save his people if they honor the Sabbath. So they developed this long list of rules defining what can and can you not do on the Sabbath and made a big deal out of not working on the Sabbath and what is work. So we know that Jesus, on this Sabbath day, could have just told the man, your sins are forgiven, see, and the man would have been healed on the spot. But it almost feels deliberate, like Jesus is going to spit, he's going to mix up some mud, he's going to wipe it on the man's face, he's going to send the man away to go walk and wash, which was forbidden by the Pharisees on the Sabbath. It almost feels like he's putting it in their faces and goading them on, like, look at this work that I'm doing on the Sabbath. And they take the bait, right? Later in the, in the passage, the Pharisees are debating and arguing, who is this man? And they say, well, he can't be from God because he did work on the Sabbath. And Jesus is showing the callousness of the Pharisees to truly see the works of God because they've hardened their hearts. And he shows this by doing work on the Sabbath. Perhaps also the mud is a sign of new creation. During Lent, we're reminded that we come from the dust. Scripture teaches that in the beginning, God created man out of the dirt. And here Jesus combines the dirt that man was created out of with his own spit, perhaps a sign of his spirit somehow, or something that he's doing to change this dirt into something new and wipes mud on the man's eyes. And through that mud, he goes and washes it off through water like we are washed in baptism. And he comes back and his eyes have been opened. This shows us that Jesus not only healed the man, he didn't just restore something that was missing, rather this man had been born blind. He says as much and makes a big deal. Again, later in the passage, the man says, never since the beginning of the world has anyone heard of a man born blind given sight. Jesus is doing a new creation. He's creating and giving something new to this man. Regardless of what's going on with the mud, this miracle of new creation, this sight that was given to the blind man, is a sign of what Jesus himself said, both in chapter 8 and again here in verse 5. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's as if by healing a blind man and giving him sight, Jesus is saying, look, Here's the proof of what I said. He's walking right in front of you, that I am here to give light to the world, to do something new and a new creation. So how does this man's suffering 
and his miracle relate to us and our suffering? I'd like to look with you all at three points. First of all is the man's healing himself. In the text, there's a clear link that the works of God to be displayed is Jesus' healing itself. That through the works of God, the man is given sight and his suffering is alleviated and ended. But not only does it end the man's suffering, it also leads him to have faith in Jesus and to receive God's grace in a new way. When we see him being challenged by the Pharisees, who can't understand what's going on and don't know what to make out of Jesus, we see the man give a brilliant testimony. Here's a man who hasn't been educated like the Pharisees. He was likely homeless and poor, being a blind man in that society. And they question him, who do you think he, Jesus is? He says, he starts and says that he's a prophet. But later, the man goes on and says, Now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does as well. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a blind man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What an amazing testimony and source of faith from a man that everyone else considered a sinner and unworthy, cursed. By the end of the story, Jesus reveals himself to this man who can now see and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he responds, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. This man's healing became a source of faith for him. And I think the same is true for many of us. If you've ever been to the hospital, maybe even something worse than my little experience, had surgery, when you come out the other end and make a recovery, there's hardly anything more pleasing, joyful, and reassuring in the world than the doctor saying, the surgery went okay. We think you're going you're gonna to make a full recovery. And when you leave the hospital, it's like the sun feels a little bit brighter. After you've been sick for a long time and haven't been able to eat, food tastes a little bit better. You know what I'm talking about? Have you had that experience? It's like you have a new lease on life, a new perspective, a new hope, and you go out with a newfound sense of energy in the world. If any of you have experienced a miraculous healing from God or an answer to prayer that you've been praying for years, that experience can be a deep and profound sense of joy and thanksgiving and for what the Lord has done. And it strengthens your faith. This passage gives us perhaps the most quoted line of Scripture when people are giving testimony. When they question this man who was blind but was given sight by Jesus, and they ask him what he thinks about Jesus, he answered, in verse 25, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Through the years, many people have come to put their faith in Jesus Christ through those words. If you have had an experience of healing, of God's grace shown to you, and where you came out of suffering, 
that can be a tremendous testimony that leads others to have their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So if that's been an experience of you, share it with us that we could be encouraged. Share how the works of God were displayed in your life. Share it with your neighbors, your friends, your family. Because the work that God did in you might be a source of faith, not only for you, but for those around you as well, as you share your testimony. But I suspect that many of us here are still suffering now in some way that God hasn't healed yet. Maybe it's been something that you've had burdened by for years, and you've prayed to God to take it away, and yet you're still suffering. How might the works of God be displayed in that situation in your life? Second, suffering puts us in a place where we are ready to receive God's grace. Our suffering humbles us and reminds us that not everything is okay in life and puts us in a place of desperation where we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Sometimes our sin does come direct, or our suffering comes directly from our sin. Perhaps you're suffering from a broken relationship that was caused because you said or did something that broke the relationship. Maybe you're suffering uh, at work or from lack of a work because you, you said or did something at work that caused you to fall out of favor with your boss. Sometimes our suffering does directly uh, come from things that we've said and done. But even if it doesn't, I think suffering often slows, down, uh, slows us down and causes us to reflect on life. And we can realize, yeah, maybe I'm not quite living the way that I should that things aren't going the way they're supposed to or the way that I ought to. Suffering can humble us and bring us to a place of repentance and ready to receive God. If we look at the text in John 9, who is ready to receive Jesus? Jesus has just done radical teaching about himself that got him kicked out of the temple and almost killed. And we see that his disciples, who have been following him for some time, are still callous to what Jesus can do for those who are suffering. We see the neighbors hardly believe what has happened, and they don't know what to make of it. So they bring him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are angry and mad, and ultimately reject both what Jesus did and what happened to the man in his testimony. Even the man's parents say, we don't know. But it's the man who was blind, because of his suffering, was in a place that he was ready to receive Jesus. He was ready to see the works of God displayed. And ultimately, because of his suffering, he is the one who receives God's grace and comes to faith in Jesus and is given new life. Our suffering, if we are not calloused and shut ourselves off to God, is an invitation to ask God, what might you be trying to show me through this suffering? And how might you be trying to reveal yourself to me in a new way? Third, our text 
is an invitation to see the suffering of those around us. The Pharisees are not able to see the man for who he is, for how God sees him, because of their preconceived notions of suffering. Oftentimes, when we read miracles in the gospel, the story quickly resolves itself after Jesus does the healing or the miracle, whatever it is. But we've just touched on the beginning verses of chapter 9. It goes on for many more verses, basically with all kinds of people questioning, what is this miracle? What happened? And, and it's the Pharisees questioning first the man and then his parents and then the man again. What's going on with this extended text? Blindness in this text becomes a metaphor for the Pharisees' spiritual blindness, so that by the end, the story has reversed. Here we encountered a man born blind, and the disciples ask, what did he do to deserve this, this suffering? But by the end of the story, we see it's not the man who's blind. He's been given eyes to see God and to see Jesus. It's rather the Pharisees who have closed themselves off to God and to Jesus' ministry. They are the ones who are spiritually blind. Jesus puts this bluntly at the end of the passage. In verse 39, he says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. The text is inviting us to not shut ourselves off to the suffering of others, but rather to see them and to ask, how might the works of God be displayed in their lives and through their suffering? Don't worry about it. Oops. <laughs> we need a bigger pulpit. Yes, we do. At the beginning of the passage, when Jesus, before Jesus heals the man, he says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. The text is inviting us to carry out the works of Jesus, that the works of God might be displayed in how we treat those who are suffering. Every Sunday at the end of Eucharist, we pray the prayer, Lord, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you. The text is inviting us to see those who are hurting in the world around us, who are many and who are suffering, and to have compassion on them, and to open us up to the ways that we might show the work of Christ to them by sharing their burden and suffering alongside of them. I'd like to end by reflecting on, I almost did it again, I'd like to end by reflecting on a favorite author of mine, Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen writes a lot of, they're fairly short books, and they're not that difficult theologically or scholarly, but they tend to be very profound. 
He was a Catholic priest, and he often reflected on suffering and how some of the hard things and suffering in his own life led him to greater depths of ministry. He often talks of how suffering is an opportunity to share in Christ's suffering and Christ's sacrifice for us, that suffering is an opportunity to join with him in that. He wrote a, a book about Christian ministry called Wounded Healer, and it doesn't just apply to ordained ministry, but to the ministry all of us have been called to, to share the gospel with our neighbors. And he says this in it, Nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not, how can we hide our wounds so that we don't have to be embarrassed? But how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. Perhaps you're suffering today. Perhaps there's some area of hurt in your life right now that you wish the Lord would take away. Or perhaps you're carrying around with you past hurts that still burden you. The gospel this morning invites us not to ask, why do I deserve this? Why do I have to suffer through this? But rather, God invites us through his spirit to see Jesus in the midst of our suffering, to see Jesus, the light of the world, and ask, how might the work of Christ be displayed in me? Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for the testimony of this blind man and the encouragement that it is to us. We give you thanks for the many ways that you have worked in and through us and healed us. And Lord, we pray today that however it is that we are suffering, that we might bring that to you and ask you to reveal yourself to us in new ways through our suffering, that you might be glorified and that your works might be displayed in our lives. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.